You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. Once again, getting a little bit of an early start because life and all that stuff. I'm also getting into, I'm so tired that it physically hurts territory, so um, should be fun. I uh, just downed a really big cup of instant coffee, which if you've been listening for a while is, is one of the things I do. Um, but after I did it, I realized instant coffee has almost no effect on me anymore. If anything, it makes me more tired. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to drink a Rockstar also while I'm at it because I've, I've now evolved to Rockstar energy drinks, um, which I didn't want to give them a shout out because, um, you know, they don't sponsor or anything, but I think they're my favorite energy drinks. Uh, all energy drinks have now come out with these like super low calorie ones. There's some that are like every once in a while I accidentally buy the wrong one. It's like 250 calories. Then they got like 10 calorie, 5 calorie, 25 calorie. They taste the same. So it's like, why would I? That's like a half a meal in one can of energy. So anyways, I really like these, man. I do. I don't know if if, if Rockstar's in the house, but, uh, you know, if you want to send me some of these, that'd be great. The orange, oh, it tastes like, uh, I mean, it tastes like orange soda is what it tastes like. It just tastes like straight up orange soda and it's an energy drink and it's 25 calories. So it's pretty awesome. They've also got a cotton candy one, which I think cotton candy is disgusting. I like it. I really do. It's kind of weird. I bought it because I wanted to get all the different flavors and try them. And I was like, this is going to taste like just disgusting nonsense. It's so random. I just looked at my computer and it said Rockstar. I'm like, what the heck is that? It's, a, it's Rockstar Games. But um, it's, it's weird that it tastes good. So if, you're, uh, if for some reason you're on the same life journey as I am, where you're just kind of ripping through energy drinks because you got nothing else to do with your life, um, try it out, man. Try the cotton candy rock star. I mean, you don't have to do cotton candy. If you want to try a really good one, the orange. Also, there's like a green can. I forget what it is. It's not pina colada, but it's something, it's, it's a very faint flavor, but that's like one of my favorites for sure. I always buy the green one. I forget what it's called. It's delicious. But anyways, I'm, that's what I do now. That's me. That's my life. I eat pork butt and drink rock star energy. And then I, Go to work and come home and record the podcast and then go do family stuff and then go to bed and rinse and repeat every day, all day for the rest of my life. And I love it. Also, I'm I'm very committed to kind of turning everything inward toward Patreon. We've got so many people in there. There's a lot of stuff we can do. So uh, I started doing polls, as you know. I started. I did today ask a question. It was just. It wasn't even a question. It was just a general. Um, if you have questions for the show thing, but I wanted to gauge it and see if there's a lot of questions. I got a lot of answers or questions to answer to my question, which is questions. And so uh, I kind of wanted to do that a little bit. They've all, there's also an option to do live streams in there. So maybe I would do that like a private live stream for the patrons if you guys would be into that. 
But um, I forget sometimes that there's literally like 260 people that support the show, which, by the way, thank you all very much. But uh, I say all that to encourage you a buck a month, man, and we're going we're gonna to hang out and have some fun in, in Patreon. Don't know exactly what. Oh, we got to do, do the prop bet thing. I don't even know how to do that. I want to find a way to do it, and I want there to be winners and losers because that's what makes life worth living. And um, it's about all I know, but I want it to be something kind of cool. I, th- I thought of one. There's, there's a couple different ways we could do it. And I know I'm just talking to a very small portion of my audience right now, but I'm just thinking out loud now. There's sort of like a you guys versus the house and I'm the house kind of thing, which obviously you can't lose because your, your buy-in is your Patreon thing. So obviously it's, you know. But it's like we agree on like a prop bet. A.J. Dillon scores the first touchdown. Um, first reception is MVS uh, more than 20 yards. Something like that. And then if it hits, then the house has to pay out. You know what I mean? Now, I thought about doing I would pay out at a multiple times whatever your uh, pledge is. But then I thought, well, if you do like 30 to 1 and someone's pledging $20, you can't afford that. <laughs> so I don't know. It would be cool. Like if I just had infinite money, I would totally do that, but I don't. And I don't have a way of justifying to my wife. Um, so I did this thing on the on the podcast to hopefully get like five more people giving me a dollar a month, and I lost $600, and so I have to pay him $600. That conversation wouldn't go well, but it could be something. I don't know. T-shirt giveaway, signed Rockstar can that's empty because I need it for myself. So many options. So many options. That is really good, dude. Orange is amazing. I got to stop talking, though, because they don't, they, don't, uh, they don't incentivize me. So instead, go to DraftKings and don't ever drink Rockstar. Anyways, um, just got done listening to Matt LaFleur do his press conference. I didn't hear all of it, and I kind of just blacked out as soon as I heard him say that Elton Jenkins is injured, because um, that is beyond devastating. It's really, really bad. Um, what is today? Today is technically Thursday's episode, so we're getting late into it. We can, Oh, you know what? We got to talk about tonight's game, right? Man, the days confuse me. Lots to talk about, but bottom line is we can start to look at the 49ers at least a little bit, and um, the only thing I really want to look at is their defensive line, which is the one really big strength that they have, which became a bigger strength because Elton might not play. First of all, it should be pointed out that Elton didn't have the best day in the world. It's entirely possible, by the way, that the injury and him taking a slight step back are correlated, right? But if he doesn't play, here's what we have to go up against. First of all, um, their top three players in terms... Well, we don't need to do top three. Um, We all know about Bosa, right? Bosa's the guy everybody's scared of. He's doing fine. 77 overall grade, 73 overall pass rush, 75 tackling, 64 run defense, whatever. It's early. It doesn't really matter. But he does have eight pressures out of 66 attempts and three sacks on the season. Three sacks in two games. Uh, By my math, that's ahead of the curve. Now, again, sacks are fleeting, so I prefer pressure rate. Uh, But either way, that's about 12%. He's winning at an above-average rate. And I I imagine that that 12% will increase. And again, three sacks is a big number. But he's not even the scariest guy on this team right now. Um, First of all, before we get to the scariest, there's also D. Ford, who is somebody that we need to pay attention to. Um, D. Ford has seven pressures on the season, one sack, but he's only rushed the passer 42 times, meaning he's at 16.6%. That is unbelievably high. That is Zadarius Smith circa uh, 2019. I mean, not quite, but it's almost there. Just to give you an idea of how good of a job D. Ford is doing right now, and he's number three on the team. Um, 
Let's see. There's also Kentavious Street, who is a defensive tackle. He has six pressures and one sack on 46 attempts. That is 13%. 13% is just fine. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. So you've got two edge rushers, D. Ford and Nick Bosa, who are playing very, very well. You've also got Contavia Street on the defensive line, who's doing very, very well. But the scariest guy on this entire team right now is a guy with zero sacks, and that's Mr. Eric Armstead. He is the second highest graded player on the team behind DJ Jones, another defensive lineman, go figure. Um, but DJ Jones is mostly a run defender, but who cares because everybody else is a freakish pass rusher. And oh, by the way, they're one of the top run defenders along their defensive line too. That's just fantastic. But Eric Armstead, zero sacks, but 15 pressures in 69 attempts, 15 pressures already in just two games. That's 21.7%. That is, that is stupid high. That's not even Aaron Donald high. That's like Aaron Donald best year of his career high. 21.7%, 22%, whatever, if you want to round it up, is ridiculous. It's absurd. This defensive line is absolutely destroying everybody. And um, if we don't have David Bakhtiari and Elton Jenkins, and Billy Turner continues to struggle, and our guys on the interior give up one or two here and there, and then we go up against an extra special group, um, it's not even really, it doesn't even matter if we go through everybody else. We can sit here and go, well, the corners, you know, I mean, if we look at, let's see, who are their top corners? Um, Demadore Lenoir, he's not super good. And then they've got who? Uh, Kwan Williams, yuck, he's not super good. Uh, Jason Verrett, you know, he's okay, I guess. Uh, Josh Norman, yeah, he's pretty bad at football. It doesn't, who cares? <laughs> who cares? Guess what? They're not as bad as the Saints' uh, corners, and we couldn't do much with that. They're not as bad as the Lions' corners. Our guys couldn't separate from them, and none of those teams had as good of a pass rush. So am I a little bit concerned? Yes, I'm a little bit concerned. Uh, Does it mean automatic loss? No, but it sucks a lot because, again, when we lose, this is why. It's, It's up front. We can't push these guys out of the way in the run game, and we can't keep Aaron Rodgers clean, and Aaron Rodgers starts to panic and scramble, and he doesn't read, and he starts throwing crazy 40-yard bombs to guys that are triple-covered, and um, you know we just abandon the run because why bother? Let's just give it to Aaron Rodgers, and he's in panic mode and scrambling and taking sacks and throwing the ball away, and, and then we just get embarrassed. So um, am I slightly panicking that I heard Elton Jenkins is hurt? Yeah, maybe a little bit. So, I mean, the fact of the matter is, even if Elton Jenkins plays, it's very, very sad to see these numbers here of how well the 49ers defensive line is doing. Now, again, as a team, as a whole, not a lot of good. I mean, to be completely honest, they have three players on their entire defensive uh, and their entire defense that have a 70 overall grade. Nick Bosa, Eric Armstead, and DJ Jones, and that's it. Um, And then offensively, they've got like six of them, although Five of them are actually starters. Jimmy Garoppolo is not in that group. Um, let's see, their their center is not in the group. McGlinchey's not in the group. Uh, none of their running backs are in that group. So, you know, it's a little bit iffy. Juszczyk uh, is playing terribly so far. Trey Lance is their lowest graded player on their entire offense. So, uh, you know, they're, 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 not, they're not perfect, but that just, that just sucks, man. We get that two weeks in a row because the Steelers are no different. They're just they they can be terrible everywhere, but up front is is all that matters. So that sucks. I guess if you are looking for a silver lining, though, uh, Kenny Clark is better than all of the 49ers guys in terms of uh, total pressures, in terms of win rate. Um, 
he's doing better. So that's that's a great thing. Um, off the edge, D Ford and Eric Armstead are eight and nine in terms of win rate, but Rashawn is eleven. So that's 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 great. It's crazy how bunched up these are. I wonder how much of this has to do with competition. Number one and number two off the edge in terms of win rate are the Patriots. Number three and number four are Raiders. Number eight and number nine are 49ers. It's so weird that six of the top 10 are on the same team and right next to each other. Anyways, I'm uh, just looking at random things now. But that was, that was, uh, that was bad news. Uh, we did get confirmation. I don't remember if I mentioned this yesterday or not. I don't think so because I don't think I knew definitively. But we did get confirmation that the touchdown given up was Kevin King's fault, not Eric Stokes's fault, which, to be completely honest, is unbelievably good news. And yes, I did reach out to PFF and ask them to change the stat. I will be doing that every day until they do. Um, because, I mean, if the whole point of their system is to grade these things properly, right now Eric Stokes should be graded a lot higher. Kevin King should probably be a lot lower. Um, for everybody's reference, um, Eric Stokes, 76 overall grade, Kevin King, 50. So it should probably be like 85 and, and 40. But listen, through two weeks, Eric Stokes is one of the top corners in football. I want it reflected in PFF and I want everyone to know it. He's already the number one rookie corner, but you know, he deserves to be higher compared to everybody in the NFL. Cause I mean, the dude has been, he's got five targets, one reception for five yards and a touchdown. If you remove the um, one target, one reception for five yards and a touchdown, it's four targets, zero receptions, and three pass breakups. So that's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) And really, that ultimately doesn't matter. I just want it for my reference so that when I... I, Because I'm just going to know every time I reference Eric Stokes, it's going to be like, here's how he's doing. But I also have to do that mental note where it's like, oh, wait, I got to adjust the stat because of that. I've had to do that a couple times. Um, I forget what it was one time. It was... I think Kevin King got blamed for something that was technically like Savage's fault or something. I don't know, something like that. But you always have to do that mental note that one of the stats is wrong. Which, yes, that happens somewhat regularly, which is why you got to take PFF with a grain of salt. But again, I use it because it's the only thing I have. There is one other option, but it costs $1,000 and I can't pay for that. So this is what we do. But but again, for our refer- for, from our point of view, that is fantastic. And it's really, really exciting. The other thing to take into account... What is going on with the dog upstairs? It's a great dog, but every once in a while, he's just like, you know what? I'm bored, and I don't want to be in this uh, kennel anymore, and I'm going to sit here, and I'm going to bark for like an hour. And then as soon as you let him out, he's like, now I'm going to bite everyone and everything because I'm very hyper, and that's what I want want to do, which is why when you have... It's a a problem with having little kids, man. Like, if it was just me and the older child and my wife... Be like, go ahead and run around. And if you bite me, well, I mean, you're just going to regret that severely. But it'd be fine. But when you have like a baby and the dog's like, I'm going to jump on that baby's face right there. You can't let the dog out. There's no way. And you don't be like, all right, all the little kids go hide in your room for like three hours so we can let the dog roam around and destroy our house. So it's like, no, you you stay in your pen. It's these things you didn't, uh, didn't so much consider. But it is what it is. Also, um... I found out a couple other things about dogs. Number one, they're exactly like little kids. When they get when it gets late at night, they lose their minds. Little kids have this weird thing where they get tired, and if you put them to bed when they're like just a little bit before tired, like let's say eight o'clock is like pass out time, you get them to bed around eight, we're good. If they stay up until like nine ish, they're psychopaths, and then they can't sleep, and they're super crazy, and for some reason they're actually extra hyper. That's the same with this dog. 
And there is no like, we'll just go burn off energy. It's not energy. That's not the problem. He's overtired. I've, I've, I've taken this dog on runs and I don't run, but I ran, I like sprinted to keep up with the dog and all this. The more you try to relieve energy, the more they go psycho, or at least this dog. Like, oh, are you tired now? He's like, no, I'm going to kill everything. I'm going to kill you. Why? Aren't you tired? Like, no, I'm super hyper now. We just ran for like an hour. I'm freaking out. I'm, I'm, I'm freaking out, man. It's like, what, what, what? I don't understand. I thought you'd pass out or something. Nope. I'm going to bite the leash. Okay, dude. Well, have fun. But then, you know, you put him in his kennel for the night and he passes out. But just for that period of time, he's like, dude, I'm so overtired and hyper. I'm going to kill everyone. It's like, oh, that's, that's great. So those are the two things I also learned about at least little puppies. I've had dogs my whole life. I've never experienced this before, but they were, I guess, older and not psycho puppies. Um, they do get overtired and there's no such thing as burning off energy because they're actually just, you're making them more overtired. So anyways, what are we talking about? Oh yeah, the, uh, the corner thing. So one of the things that was actually interesting was looking at the um, cornerback position and the way that we utilize them. I didn't realize we put Kevin King in the slot so much. But um, we did. So we've had three different people in the slot. Obviously, Chandon has been in the slot. Um, 22 coverage snaps. I think that was primarily, if not exclusively, in week one. Um, Jair, we all saw in the slot, and I, I noticed that. Kevin King, I didn't know, although I should have, because that's what that touchdown was. It was him in the slot. I guess my brain just assumed he was following somebody, and that's where he went. I don't know. But no, he's played pretty consistently in the slot. In fact, 16 coverage snaps compared to Jair's 17. It's been almost a split between him and Jair. If you look at the, the statistics, so Chandon is our main slot guy. Three targets, three receptions, six yards, and a touchdown. Jair, five targets, two receptions, 20, uh, 29 yards. Kevin King, one target, one reception, three yards, which is technically two targets, two receptions, uh, eight yards, and a touchdown because, you know, the other one was his fault. But still, based on that, he's very rarely targeted, and it's the same amount of receptions as Jair. It's less yards than Jair. There is a touchdown involved in that, but those aren't terrible statistics. Now, and, and again, I understand that the wide receiver situation, it depends on who the wide receiver is, but I'm, I'm acknowledging that we're taking this on a case-by-case basis. The point is, as bad as Kevin King is outside, and as much as I thought there's no chance we'd ever put Kevin in the slot because it makes no sense, it doesn't fit what he does, he did okay. And when you factor in Jair and Stokes um, on the outside and Kevin in the slot, and again, we can switch that up. If the slot guy's more dominant, we put Jair in the slot. You put uh, you know Stokes on the other really good player and you put King on the other, whatever the guy, whoever the number three is, that's what I want King on. That's, that's my biggest thing, and I know we don't shadow and how that works, but in general, if the top two guys are on the boundary, put King in the slot. If the top guy is the slot guy, put Jair in the slot, put uh, Stokes on the number two, and put King on number three. The only way this gets a little dicey is if the number one is outside, and the number two is inside, and the number three is outside, because then it's like, well, I still kind of want the number one with Jair to follow that guy. Primarily, again, you don't shadow as much, but primarily that would be the thing. And then do we put King on the number two? Do we trust that? Or do we maybe put Chand in there and then you put King outside because we're too scared to just pull him because we're stupid? Or, you know, do the right thing and put Stokes out? I don't know. But I don't hate that. And I don't know for sure that King is worse than Chandon in the slot. Again, small sample size and all that, but I don't know that for sure. Based on the very small bit that I've seen, it seems as though he's doing better than Chandon is. And if he's a halfway competent, you know, slot corner for some really weird reason. And and in a weird way, it almost makes sense. He's doing very well in man coverage right now. 
which again surprises me a little bit. But a lot of it is just run and chase, right? And King can, for the most part, do that. Like, that's your guy, just chase him around. Like, all right, I can do that. I feel like that's maybe something he can do, as opposed to, like, trying to figure out the situation. Like, no, this is your guy. He's going to run probably across the middle of the field. You just run with him, like, real fast. These guys are fast and shifty. You're not super shifty, but if you could just be fast and keep up with them, we might be all right. Like, all right, I got that. And then guys are trying to run, like, the big slot. It's like, yeah, we got the big slot. It's like, dude, um, okay. <laughs> yeah, Kevin King's 6'3", but you go on with your big slot. I don't know. I know everybody's skeptical and rolling their eyes at what I'm saying right now, but I'm just saying it's surprising to me. And I don't hate it because it means we get Stokes on the field a lot. And if 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 we can have Stokes and Jair, and Stokes can keep this up, and we're just kind of mixing and matching between Stokes, King, and Jair, and all three of them are on the field, and we're trying to do best-case matchup and all these kinds of things, I don't hate that. Now, I don't. again, I don't want Stokes on the bench, but if we can have Stokes and Jair on the field, and, and it's kind of a toss-up between Kevin King and Chand, and I'm at least willing to to explore it, which is what we're doing, and I and I like it. By the way, listening to Coach Lafleur talk about Kevin King in the slot, he basically said that we really like him in the slot. <laughs> I don't remember the exact words. Let's see if I put it down in my notes. I don't think I did, but um, he basically said, um, "Yeah, very, very, very interested in Kevin King." Here's what he said, at least how I wrote it. Said overall, putting King inside was good for us. So. Um, they tried it out and they really liked it. And, and listen, this is, this is kind of the, it solves a lot of problems because they really like King. We don't really understand it. We don't want it, but they like King. They also have to see how good Stokes is doing and whether they trust him or not doesn't matter. He's doing a good job. Um, so if they put King on the inside and it worked out really well and they can put Stokes out there and not have to bench King because they really just don't want to and they're getting production from it, it just, I, I guess what I'm telling you is you need to start expecting this, whether you like what I'm saying or not, because it sounds like this is the direction we're going. Again, it might depend on the mix and match and, and who our matchup is exactly. But for example, let's just look at the 49ers because that's what's coming up. So in this situation, and, and it's, again, kind of interesting, if you look at their three receivers, the top guy is Debo. Debo is going to be your outside inside. So when you got two wide receivers, Debo is outside. When you go in the slot, Debo goes into the slot. When you go three wide, I mean. Um, the benefit here is that Brandon Ayuk, and there's been a lot of talk about Brandon Ayuk, and he had a great rookie year, but now all of a sudden he's having a really bad year, and the coach is like kind of not really trashing him, but kind of trashing him, like he's not putting in work or something. I don't know. He had an 80 overall grade as a rookie, he has a 55 right now, and it doesn't sound like it's a fluke. There's something going on there. The other wide receiver is uh, Sherfield, Trent Sherfield, who has just never really been a very good player, 2018 undrafted free agent, hasn't really produced very much. So in this situation, again, I really wouldn't mind, especially with Debo being 5'11", 214. I mean, 214, he's a stocky dude. I wouldn't mind Jair following him in the slot, especially since the other two guys, it, there's a big drop-off. You know what I mean? Like, if, if, if it was... If it was Debo, let's say, at an 84 overall grade and Brandon Ayuk was still at an 80, I'd be like, you know what, let's just keep Jair on Ayuk. Debo's a big dude. Let's put King in the slot, and then we'll just have Stokes out there messing around with the other guy. But because it's such a drop-off, I don't want to waste Jair on guys that are just not producing right now. I would rather have Jair kind of, again, to the to the best of our ability, shadow Debo. In other words, 
and and this is where it's going to be a little bit frustrating probably when they're doing two wide receiver which is probably going to be somewhat of a lot because they like to utilize their fullback tight ends and all those kinds of things but that's when it becomes a because obviously then Debo Samuel and Jair is going to be the matchup whenever possible and then it's probably going to be Ayuk and whoever and I'm I'm kind of thinking that King is primarily going to be the guy um but I don't know but that's sort of what I'm talking about, right? This is one of those weird situations where you've got a slot guy that's kind of your primary, and so putting Kevin King in the slot kind of becomes eh, not so sure. I guess ultimately it comes down to, is he actually good at this, or did he just go up against a scrub? If he's good at it, then let's just let it ride, man. Put him in there. We'll put Jair on Ayuk, and we got Stokes on Sherfield, which, I mean, whatever. <laughs> By the way, what a fantastic position for a guy like Stokes to be in where he is the number three and the coaches treat him like the number three. And even if he ends up taking King's job, he's still the number two. A lot of these guys, they get drafted and it's like, okay, our corners suck. We need you to be our savior. Stokes, it's like, I don't know. We already got a thing here and we're kind of comfortable with it. And if you could just not mess it up, uh, we'll get to you when we get to you. And we don't like it, but again, he's in such a good spot because he's, he's learning on the fly, but they also have the opportunity to ease him in and slowly teach him things. It's not like, here's the whole book, you better learn it by tomorrow, because we need all these things in your brain immediately. It's just kind of, we're going we're gonna to slowly ease you in, and when we get you on the field, we're not putting you up against the top guys. Jair, you're going to lock down Debo. Stokes, you're going to go up against Sherfield when they're in three wide receivers. Sherfield is not very good. He doesn't have a lot of success. Um, his best year was his rookie year in Arizona when he had 19 receptions for 210 yards and a touchdown. So... Um, that's about it. This year, by the way, he might he may actually break that. He already has three receptions for 32 yards and a touchdown. So anyway, Stokes, that's your assignment. And once in a while, you might be going up against a severely struggling um, Brandon Ayuk. The other thing I wanted to touch on very briefly, um, and I know a lot of people who are still unsatisfied with the defense, understandably so, are not going to be super thrilled with my uh, rose-colored glasses. But I just, I just want to highlight a couple things. Um, and I kind of already have, but it, it just sort of clicked in my brain. There are several things right now, although it doesn't feel like it because it's disjointed and guys don't know what they're doing and they're not playing very well. And it's just, it's not coming together. The, the issue with the defense isn't that everybody's bad. It's that it's not coming together in a cohesive way that makes any sense. Matt LaFleur has talked about that, right? You've got to marry the coverage and the, the pass rush. It does no good when the pass rush is there and the coverage isn't. It does no good when the coverage is there and the pass rush isn't, right? And he, that's been his biggest thing. He's primarily upset with pass rush, but he's mentioned that on both ends, it doesn't really make sense. And the scheme isn't really making sense and how to utilize guys and when to utilize guys. A lot of that stuff is not, has not come together yet. However, that isn't to say that things aren't better than they have been in the past. In fact, a lot of things are already better than they have been. I'll point you again to Rashawn Gary. Has he been perfect? Absolutely not. But he is at least picking up where he left off last year. And again, seven pressures on 42 attempts is fantastic. Zadarius Smith is injured, but he was on the exact same track as far as generating pressure. Also along the defensive line, and again, the defensive tackles outside of Kenny Clark are a problem, and I don't know exactly what we're going to do about that, but Kenny Clark is the biggest factor. I saw somebody talking about um, these defensive tackles, you know, Gutekunst, you need to wake up and do something or whatever, and it's like, um, what about Kenny? Kenny Clark, who the problem with him has always been his slow starts, is again, one of the best defensive tackles in football. In fact, he right now has a higher grade than he's had 
the highest he's had since 2018. 2019 and 2020, it's been seemingly a regression. He's back, kind of back on track here. And uh, week one against New Orleans was even a low game compared to what week two was with his 86 overall grade. Eight pressures on 53 attempts. Again, no sacks. We haven't, it hasn't, it hasn't broken through to that uh, extent. And again, it's, there's something not quite clicking, right? It's the, the, the pressure's there, the sacks aren't there. there. There isn't quite enough disruption. And when the pressure gets there, um, there's an immediate relief valve of, of a pass or whatever the case may be. But the point is, Kenny doesn't usually start this hot. If you look at right now his eight pressures, last year at this time, he had exactly zero. He had a 65 overall grade and a 42-6 overall grade. And again, he did get injured, so he missed a couple of games. But his first two games that he played, zero pressures. Um, then against Houston, he had four, and then he had zero, and then he had zero, and then he had one. So his first six games, and one of them he was hurt halfway through, so we could say five, five and a half-ish games, he had five pressures. He has eight in his first two. So Kenny Clark, Rashawn Gary, and Zadarius Smith, and by the way, Preston Smith, all of them are playing better than they ever have under, um, I shouldn't say ever have, Zadarius maybe not quite, but it's hard to tell. Again, the stats are great, but hard to tell. Preston Smith, by the way, his, he had one good year, and that was in 2018 against Washington. I mean, his stats were pretty high in 2019, but they gave him a 66 overall grade. Again, it was a severely inflated pass rush grade. Um, everything else was kind of subpar. Even his pressures weren't that high. It's just the sacks. It was the sacks that were disordinately high. But his, his one good year was in 2018, 76 overall grade. This year so far, 84.3. He has an 87 run defense grade and a 77 coverage grade. The pressures aren't quite that good. But again, kind of like I said with San Francisco, who cares? they got one guy, he's just a good run defender, but everybody else is doing a good job pass rushing the other three guys. That's what we have. One guy that's good against the run, and we got Rashawn, Zadarius, and Kenny who can rush the passer. That's not a bad thing. On top of that, we've never had linebackers playing this well before. On top of that, we have a guy by the name of Eric Stokes. I know that's not necessarily because of Joe Barry, but if he can improve Kevin King, that's an improvement. So improved corners, uh, Kenny Clark has improved, Rashawn has improved, Preston has improved, Zadarius seemingly has improved at least over 2020, and hopefully we get him back sooner than later. We do have to see the safeties rebound. They've kind of taken a dip. And Jair isn't quite what he was last year, but he still seems to be doing a pretty good job. Point is, the question I had is, what could this team fully be if the offense continues to play the way that they did in 2020, but the defense actually improves under Joe Barry? And I know that seems like such a ridiculous thing now, right? That was, that was a preseason proclamation. Then we saw week one and said, forget that. The offense is trash and the defense is trash. And then after last week, it's like, okay, the offense got a little bit better, but it's like 2019 offense and the defense is like, you know, 2017. But again, that's not necessarily true. The problems we've had in the past under like late stage Dom Capers, a lot of that had to do with no talent. There was no, there was no upside. There was no ceiling. There were, I mean, there, there was a ceiling. There, there was no ceiling to be reached. We were at the ceiling. Clay Matthews had no ability anymore. Nick Perry had no ability. Our defensive line outside of, of Mike Daniels had no ability whatsoever. Mike Daniels was our only good player along that defensive line. Linebackers were terrible. Corners were terrible. Safeties. I mean, HaHa was like the only other guy on the team that was any good in anything. And, and, you know, Morgan Burnett, I guess, depending on what year we're talking about. I don't know. I'm all confused on who's on the team at this point. I'm just making things up. But there, there was no upside. There's no fixing that. There's only so much you can do with scheme, and at some point you're looking at players and just saying, we just don't have players. We have players, and they're actually already starting to shine. 
but it's 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 individuals who are shining and they're not quite coming together as a unit yet. However, again, zero points in the second half of that last game. Maybe they're slowly figuring it out. It is, after all, just week two of a brand new scheme, which is kind of a lame excuse, but it is an excuse. So it's just something to ponder. I'm not saying I think that this is going to be a very good defense by the end of the year necessarily, but it. But I will say it should be. When you have these kinds of numbers, when you have Preston Smith, who's one of the best run-defending edge rushers in football right now, when you have Zadarius and Rashawn, who are, as far as generating pressure and beating tackles, one of the some of the best edge rushers in football, when you have Kenny Clark, who's one of the best defensive tackles, and I'm not just saying that generically, like everyone said last year and the year before, which it really just wasn't true. I mean, as of this year, statistically, when you still have Jair playing at a high level and Stokes, who is a rookie, playing as one of the highest graded guys, and if we can, again, get the safeties kind of playing back to their standard last year, there's no reason this shouldn't be top five. Zero reason. And it, it really falls a lot on Joe Barry getting the best out of them. Because again, we can look at other teams who don't have the talent we have who are producing at a much higher level. We need to kind of narrow this down. We need to fit. And I, and I get we're just we're just honing in on it, right? We're trying to figure out what's working, what doesn't, who to put where, all that stuff. Cool. Got it. But we got to hurry up a little bit because there's not that many games in football, especially since as, as much as I'd love to say, well, we, we may, it may be year two, year three with uh, Joe Barry before we fully see the potential. Sorry, uh, Aaron Rodgers might be gone next year. So we got to figure it out kind of quickly. So I'm sorry to, sorry to put that amount of pressure on you, but you have one year. And, and by one year, I mean like two more games to get this wrapped up. So let's figure it out. Anyways, why don't we go ahead and take a break right there. I want to come back and look at a few of the questions via Patreon. Thank you very much to my patrons for uh, jumping in with some questions. If you'd like to be a part of that kind of fun stuff, uh, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy be greatly appreciated. One dollar a month is all it's going to take for you. That's all you got to do. Very simple. Don't even have to be in the U.S. I got people from all over the world who uh, throw in their kroners and whatever else they got. Patreon can figure it all out for you. Be fine. But anyways, why don't we take a break and we'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, kick this thing off with Mr. Taj. Taj has been around for quite a long time, uh, been a patron since August of 2018. But Taj says, what will the Packers have to achieve defensively in order for us to feel good about having, having moved on from Petten? I have mixed feelings so far, but I might be looking back with rose-colored glasses. So I was thinking about that, obviously, um, and and it's probably a little bit unfair, but I, I think the thing the things that are going to alleviate the stress are going to be um, pass rush and miscommunications uh, need to need to change. And the reason I say that that's kind of unfair is because essentially what I'm saying is we're sort of demanding perfection, right? You got to stop letting them get first downs. You got to start generating a bunch of pressures. You got to stop letting them complete passes, um, and then we'll be happy, which. <laughs> not super realistic. Even on good defenses, you have miscommunications, you have quarterbacks sitting in the pocket, not getting pressured, but there has to be, it has to be better. And the fact is that's, that's the biggest reason our defense is getting beat. Quarterbacks have been sitting in the pocket forever. That's completely unacceptable, right? I mean, it, it feels a lot like, you know, again, late stage Clay Matthews, Nick Perry, where guys would just sit there. And I remember watching Clay just give up, like he would do his one pass rush move and he knew that he was going to beat him with speed if he was going to beat him. So once he didn't beat him, he kind of just stood there. Like he was dancing a little bit, but he wasn't trying to push past the guy or run around him or spin or anything. He was kind of just like holding the edge, which maybe Dom told him to do that. I don't know. I don't care. It just it was sad to watch. But the pressure does need to at least get there. You know, I mean, if the ball comes out and we're not getting a ton of sacks, that's one thing. But if they're standing there for five seconds and you still can't get there, that's not good. By the way, um, I think Rashawn should just trying to stop winning around the edge. When he tries to get it, I don't think I've ever really seen him, unless the, the quarterback takes a big drop and there's push up the middle, I don't think I've ever seen him just win around the edge. On that note, I very rarely see him lose when he just bull rushes right into somebody's chest. Just keep doing it. I mean, he's got like a 50% win rate doing that. He has like a 0% win rate trying to go around the guy. Just push him by the neck. Um, but yeah, and again, it's, it's, the, it's the breakdowns. I think people will generally accept giving up first downs and things like that. Um, but when you have these busted plays where guys are wide open 40 yards down the field, that's that's a little painful, and that probably needs to stop. Goose says, I expect this team will keep improving as the season goes on, but could these next two games really set us back? We know the Steelers' defense is for real and presume the Niners are. If we struggle against them, I could it could uh, them I could poison the team. I'd rather you didn't, Goose. Don't poison the team, please. Who needs to step up on both sides of the ball for that not to happen? It's like I've been saying, I, I really think a lot of this comes down to the trenches. I mean, you know, everything needs to improve. The wide receivers need to do a better job. Aaron Rodgers needs to do a better job. Offensive line, running back, defensive line, corners, safeties, the whole bunch has had some issues in the last two weeks. But I think when things really spiral out of control, it's the trenches. It's, as I said, the biggest one is offensive line. When Aaron Rodgers is under duress and we can't run the ball, meaning we have to abandon the run and you know, now it's 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 just that is the biggest thing. The offensive line has to produce better, and I think it starts with you know a lot of people have mentioned. Well, you know, Royce Newman did a good job uh, pass blocking. He just struggled run blocking, and that's more important. Kind of, um, ultimately, yes. But at the end of the day, if you can't run block, and 
what happens? You cannot run, right? If, if your offensive line can't block for your running back, you can't run the ball. If you can't run the ball, you pass the ball. And if the other team knows you're passing the ball, they're going to pin their ears back and come get you. So by being unable to run the ball, you make it harder to pass the ball. So, I mean, the, the absolute number one thing is the offensive line has to play better. And I, I know Aaron Rodgers has been gushing over them and everybody's been saying they've been doing a good enough job. But um, again, when things spiral out of control, that's where it starts. These other issues we can work through. If Aaron Rodgers has time, they'll find their rhythm, right? It'll, they'll do the dump offs, the screens. Occasionally he'll hit those deep balls. One of these days he's going to hit MVS. You know, if we can get the run game going at least a little bit, even like last week, it was nowhere near good enough considering it's the Lions defense, which is terrible, and they're playing the pass and not the run. We should have been able to gouge them for five yards per carry, but we only got like three-ish. That's not really great, but if we can do that against San Francisco or the Steelers or anybody and just consistently get three, four yards on, on a carry and then, you know, kind of take chunks away, throwing, we'll figure it out, we'll get our rhythm, we'll work our way down the field, we'll score points. It's when the offensive line gets decimated, and that might only be two or two two guys along the offensive line. I mean, if if uh, you know if it's Lucas Patrick and Billy Turner can't block to save their lives, it doesn't matter if the other three are just killing it. It doesn't matter. It could it could just be one. If one guy can't block, we're in a lot of trouble. Uh, Goose says, also not sure if you want draft questions, but what do you feel is our biggest need this offseason? Um, it just depends on on. I mean, the first thing my mind goes to is picking up a guard would be nice. Um, maybe we don't really need to, but if we assume, let's just assume Billy does leave. Um, Elton takes over at right tackle. So we got our tackles figured out. We got our center figured out at guard. That leaves us with Royce and Patrick and Runyon. And I just, you know, I don't know. They seem fine, but if we can consistently get guys in the draft, you know, that are like Elton and Myers, I would prefer that. We'll see how it goes for the end of the year. The other thing that comes to mind is edge rusher. Um, because I don't know what's going on with Z and Preston. I have a feeling at least one of them is gone, if not both. And it's supposed to be a super stacked edge class. At least it seems that way right now. So that might be the direction to go. And then, of course, there's always wide receiver because everyone always wants wide receiver. And who, I mean, who, you know, you could always use another one. Also, the Devontae debacle might kind of force our hand on that one. David says, in the preseason, we used our inside linebackers to blitz the quarterback. It was quite effective going forward. How much would you like to see that implement? A ton. I would love to see it. You know, just in general, I've talked about it a little bit on the podcast, but there's an entirely different scale. When I say, you know, 10% pressure rate is is a solid pressure rate, that's for defensive tackles and edge rushers. Linebackers are getting home like 33% of the time, and that's not that unusual of a metric. It's so staggering to me that we're trying so desperately, like pass rush, I mean, pass rushers get paid a massive amount of money simply because getting pressure on the quarterback is one of the most important things we do. One of the most effective ways to rush the passers with a linebacker, and yet nobody ever does it. And I understand that, you know, that there's a couple things at play here. Number one, we're bringing an extra guy. And so everybody rushing on that particular play when we're rushing five or six compared to three or four is going to be more effective. So that might skew the numbers a little bit. But I, I, it's just, it's just kind of confusing to me. And it's not like these guys are super great, you know, uh, coverage guys. So I, you know, it's it's just it's unusual, and and again, like you said, the the other big thing, you know, with with Mike Pett and I had no interest in our guys doing it because they never had any success, and basically we might as well just have you know Blake or whoever it was go sit on the bench because he would just run into the backs of his own guys, there'd be nowhere to go, and then we just lose a wide open spot in the middle of the defense where they could just throw the ball pretty easily. But we saw the success. Now I haven't actually seen it look as pretty as it did in the preseason, which go figure it's preseason, but. Um, 
I know what I saw, and, and it was extremely effective. Not only, I mean, just just the defense in general. Watching our somewhat starting defense play, it looked so impressive. They were so fast, and they were so violent, and they were. Do- I just want to see that again. And, and blitzing the linebackers on running and passing down seemed to be really effective. They were just flying around, and it was really great to see. And I'd, I'd like to see a little bit more of that. And again, that's that's maybe what the defense looks like when it all starts to come together more cohesively, and uh, we just haven't seen that yet. Uh, Mr. Bearded Buck Outdoors, Jacob says, assuming Jair plays how he usually plays and Stokes continues to improve, but also King stays the same, would you be interested in either a free agent signing or to trade for another reliable cornerback? I guess it kind of depends. My my default is to say no, because we, we have our guys, and I don't know that we're really going to get anybody that's super great. Um, the one thing that comes to mind, though, is a guy like Richard Sherman, which I know there's been some issues with Richard, and um, it doesn't have to be him, but the, one of the factors is, you know, we, we always just talk about, what if, can we just go get a guy? Well, we have to put a name to it. Who are we talking about? Because most of the guys that are just sitting out there waiting for money are not better than the guys we have, and they have zero understanding of our defense and, and what we're doing and how we're doing things and all that kind of stuff. But let's just use Richard as an example, and I know he's not peak Richard Sherman, but he's still better than Kevin King, let's just say. Now, I'm fine. I'm, I, in my mind, just play Stokes. Just play Stokes. I know he's not 100% ready, but let's just go with Stokes. But to your point, let's say we just sub out King and Sherman and kind of run what we're doing right now, which is to say we could have Stokes and Sherman on the outside and Jair in the slot. Does that get me a little bit excited? Yeah, a little bit. Now, the only reason I would even consider this is if we're all, I mean, we're all the way all in. Like we're acknowledging Rodgers is gone and this is our last chance and so although this isn't super fiscally prudent and it may be somewhat unnecessary because we're talking about like a, a half of a percent better defense or whatever it might be, um, who cares, right? Because if, if, if that's what we're assuming, then yes. But there, I mean, it's, it, you'd have to put a name to it and then you'd have to say what exactly is their purpose. But also you'd have to kind of acknowledge that, you know, I mean, Stokes is right now we, we might have two really good corners. So I wouldn't want to do that. And it wouldn't be my priority. I would probably prioritize, you know, an offensive lineman over that, possibly a tackle, considering how desperate we're getting there. Um, Guard would make sense. Another wide receiver wouldn't kill us. I know we don't need to. We probably wouldn't use them because we have way too many to begin with. But like if there was a really good one, I guess. Um, Defensive tackle immediately comes to mind because outside of Kenny Clark, everybody seems to have regressed and got worse. Safety, if you start talking about the number three safety, because we do utilize three once in a while, and our number three is just not up to par. Even linebacker. I like Devondre, but I think outside of Devondre, there's not much going. So I, I you know, I would lean toward no just for several reasons, but I, you could talk me into it depending on the specifics, I guess. Kurt says, assuming next year Packers move on from Rodgers, what are your thoughts on backup quarterback? Do you think they'll roll with Banker to get a veteran quarterback? My guess is, regardless of that, They'll also take another quarterback in the third, uh, second or third round of the draft, seeking both a quality backup to Love and a bit of a hedge against Love not turning out as they hope. Um, I think it'll be Love and Benkert, and I think they'll get an undrafted free agent like they always have. The reason I don't, and maybe they will, but the reason I don't want them to do a second or third, the amount of second or third round quarterbacks that end up being really good quarterbacks are very, very low. You got like Russell Wilson and Dak Prescott, and that's like it. The vast, vast majority of non-first-round quarterbacks are just straight-up garbage. And so it's, it's, it feels like it's just kind of boom or bust with quarterbacks. You either get a really good one or you get an incompetent one. Every v- very 
rarely once in a while you might get like a Nick Foles that can come in and be competent, or we had uh, uh, Matt Flynn, right? Flynn was Flynn was not a guy you wanted to play all season, but he could kind of get you through a couple games. I just wouldn't want to waste a second or third round pick on a backup that's going to be just not very good. I'm just not interested. And and you know, as far as a hedge, I I, I don't think there's a hedge. I think we we got to ride it out and see if there's anybody there, and if he's if he's bad, we draft somebody in the first round as early as possible to replace him. If he's good, then we roll with him. And if he gets hurt, it's no different than with Aaron Rodgers, where he's hurt and now we suck. Um, the only possible scenario where I could see would be first round. And I know people would lose their mind, but for me personally, let's just say a guy like Matt Corral is available. And in my mind, Matt Corral is Jordan Love just a little bit better. That's just me in my brain and all that stuff, but you know, whatever. Let, let's just say that's the scenario. Now, they probably wouldn't do that because what I think is they have an assessment of Jordan Love. Either they trust him or they don't. And so if they end up drafting someone, it's because they don't trust him and they'll probably look to trade Love, which would be a super messy and just horrible situation, which is why I don't think it's going to happen. Because, you know, obviously everybody looks at Love as the reason Rodgers is gone and now Rodgers leaves and the first thing you do is trade Love. That doesn't make a lot of sense. But I'm just saying that would be the one scenario is where they draft somebody in the first and trade Love. The other is... We don't draft anybody until very late round or undrafted free agent. We roll with love, which is what I think will end up happening. Any defensive lineman you're interested in this upcoming offseason, as in free agents, says Gary Ferries. I keep saying Ferries, and I don't think it's Ferries, but we've probably talked about this before, so I'll just leave it alone. Um, it's, it's so hard to tell because at this point, I mean, there's a list of about 100 guys that are free agents, but obviously most of these guys are going to end up getting re-signed. Um... I mean, you got a guy like Linval Joseph, who's with the Chargers right now. He's obviously a longtime Minnesota Viking, very good run defender, but he's 33 years old right now. Um, and Dominican Sue is a no-go. We probably wouldn't have a lot of money, so somebody like Linval would actually probably make a lot of sense because essentially what you're going to get is a guy that's old and not a super good pass rusher but is a solid run defender because that's one of the few instances in which you can get somebody who's really good at something but also still really cheap. Now, would the Packers want somebody like that? I don't know. They don't seem to be interested in those kinds of guys, although we did just draft one. But I, I, I think we got to see what some of the, because again, a lot of these guys are really big names, but they're getting up in age. So, you know, uh, Gerald McCoy, Linval, um, Malik Jackson, Sheldon Richardson. So the question is, do they have anything left in the tank? So we'll kind of have to reassess that and then find out what their value is and find out if the team wants to resign them or what's going to happen with that. I'm sure there's going to be some, but, um, you know, I have, I really don't know. You know, Danny Shelton, 28 years old, he's obviously still got something left in the tank. Is he going to be available? That could be somebody interesting. So I guess the short answer to your question is no, not yet. But we'll have to reassess that as the season rolls on. And then finally, we got a great question from Aaron Nelson says, what's worse, to be delusional by thinking the Packers are trash or for Bears fans to think that now that Fields has been announced the starter when Dalton has been playing far better, that they are automatically Super Bowl contenders. What is worse? I think the first one is worse because there's nothing wrong with, I mean, contender, you can kind of broaden that, you know, you know what I mean? Like, you're not, a, you're not officially eliminated from contention. So technically, you're a contender, right? Does that work? I guess on the other side, you could argue the Packers are quote-unquote trash if you just look backwards and not forwards and assume that nothing improved and nothing will improve, because obviously week one was a trash performance, and week two was good, but there were still some issues. So I guess the question would be, what's more likely, 
The Packers end the season as a trash team, which trash would be, what, six wins or less? Or that the Bears win the Super Bowl? Oof. I don't know. That might be a that might be a good Patreon poll question. Which is more likely? The Packers win five more games or the Bears win the Super Bowl? I might think the Packers winning five games is more likely, especially if you well, I wouldn't you can't factor in injury because that doesn't count. Because that's that's looking into the future and changing something. It, the team as it is, with Aaron Rodgers and Devontae and Kenny and all these guys and Jair winning five games, five more games. I don't know. I'm going back and forth now because the other side of it, there, there is a there is a universe in which Justin Fields really just clicks and he just takes off. I mean, he he becomes Pat Mahomes. Unlikely, but possible. I don't know if there's a world where Aaron Rodgers only wins five more games. I'm I'm really back and forth on this. I, I'm I'm going to say it's more delusional to say the Packers are trash. And again, it's you got to you got to define these things. What does that mean? And again, it's not Super Bowl win, it's Super Bowl contender, so I don't know. I, it's got to be Packers are trash because especially if you expand that out to to contender because now we're just talking about a playoff team. I it's not impossible they're a playoff team with Justin Fields and he figures it out. So yeah, it's it's more silly to think the Packers are trash than to think the Bears are Super Bowl contenders, but they're both pretty silly. The Packers still have a lot of talent. We'll see how good that that is, but trash is a silly statement. And then um, the Bears being Super Bowl contenders because the lesser of the two quarterbacks is now the starter um, is kind of silly, especially when you factor in, even if, again, Justin Fields maybe, you know, because now he's the starter, so he's going to be getting all the reps and they're going to game plan for Justin Fields as opposed to Justin going out in the middle of an Andy Dalton game and trying to make that work. You know, maybe we see the best of them and, and it really starts to take off. The problem is, even still, and I shouldn't be talking, apparently some people in the Facebook group are very mad that I talk about the Bears sometimes. <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand, but trying to figure out what makes people angry sometimes is, is a hard task. But the issue is, the team is still bad. You know, you don't really have super good wide receivers, and you don't have a good offensive line, and you don't, you know, Khalil Mack is not doing well, and the rest of your defensive line is not doing great, and your corners are bad, and you know, you're one of your two really good linebackers, supposedly, anyways, is is gone, and you're left with the one, and your safeties are overrated, and all that kind of stuff. So, again, it's like, okay, you're the Chiefs now because you have Pat Mahomes, except nothing else about you is the Chiefs. I mean, take Pat Mahomes and put him on the Bears. They're a really improved team, but he still is going to have to play with that garbage offensive line, and he loses Tyreek and Kelsey and... Um, I mean, maybe got an improved running back, but, you know, I don't know. Anyways, that's that's. I guess that's my answer to the question. Thank you, everybody, for uh, jumping in on the Patreons. I'll try to, again, get the regular uh, polls and everything going for, for content and for, you know, stuff to do. But I got to get going. You folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I forgot to talk about the game, but who cares? Talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.